This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Good morning. I'm reading from John 12, 12 to 19. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of him and had been done to him. So the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. It was also because they heard that he had performed this sign that the crowd went to him. The Pharisees, the Pharisees then said to one another, You see, you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Hear the word of the God. Second Bible reading is from also from Book of John, chapter 17, verses 1 to 26. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you have ga- that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they, they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave me to, gave to me, I have given to them. And they have received them and know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost, except the one destined to be lost, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in, in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, so that they also may be sanctified in truth. 
I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory, which you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and, the, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Hear the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, help us to see your glory today. Amen. Please be seated. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Over the last couple of months, we've been sitting at the table with Jesus, hearing what he has to say to his disciples on that last night before he died. But now, at the beginning of chapter 17, things take a turn. He stops talking to his disciples, stops addressing us, and prays. The Gospels talk a lot about Jesus praying, but they rarely record the actual words that he said. But here it does. And it was a long reading, but these are precious words of Jesus praying to his Father. And when we listen to Jesus pray, we hear his deepest desires for himself and for his disciples. And the power of a prayer like this is that it challenges our deepest desires and purposes. What is it that you really want? I mean, really. One way of identifying your deepest desires is to ask yourself to fill in the blanks, if only I could... Then I'll be. If only I could pay off my mortgage, then I'll be secure. If only I could get a better job, then I'll be comfortable. If only I could have a solid relationship, then I'll be satisfied. If only I could get the kids out, then. I'll have a solid night's sleep. <laughs> what is it for you? Now, of course, many of these things that we really want, these things are fine. But in this prayer, Jesus pushes us to join with him in his mission and purposes. And he really challenges our wants and desires in sometimes uncomfortable ways. And to start with, look at the very first thing that he asks for. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. This is Jesus' number one goal in everything, 
to be glorified so that he might glorify his Father in heaven. It's a desire for God's glory. But what does that mean? I think we talk about glorifying God, God's glory. It's kind of one of those um, slippery Christian jargon words. But to glorify means two things generally in the Bible, two things. It means to show God and to honour God, to show God to people and to honour him. So to show God, God's glory is, a, is his visible representation of his power and majesty. And so for the Son to glorify the Father is to show everybody his power and majesty. But it's also to honour God. God's glory is another word for his reputation or his fame or honour. And so for the Son to glorify the Father is to bring him honour and fame and reputation. And so Jesus' desire above all things is that he shows everyone the power and majesty of God the Father so everyone will give him honour and recognition. I was talking to somebody just a few weeks ago about God's own desire for his glory. And it really seems like there's a problem here because isn't it just selfish or arrogant for God to desire his own glory? I suppose it could be, but we need to remember to judge God by God's standards, not by human standards. And if anyone deserves reputation, it's God. In verse 5, this is a glory that the Son and the Father have had even before the world existed. This is the holy God who made all things and sustains all things in the palm of his hand. And at the same time, throughout John, you know how Jesus talks about how he'll be, that how he'll be glorified? By giving his life and dying shamefully on a cross for the sins of the world so that we might have eternal life. The glory of God is fundamentally other person-centred. The Father glorifies the Son, the Son glorifies the Father, and the Son gets glory by giving his life for the world to us. And so in the end, God's glory isn't selfish or arrogant in a way that we think is problematic because he expresses it by giving himself for us. Now, Jesus' desire for God's glory turns our desires and purposes completely upside down. You know, I think it's easy to treat your faith as just another plank in a balanced life. Spirituality, alongside a healthy emotional life and a a good job and physical wellness. But Jesus, when he talks about God's glory like this, shows us that he's not interested in just being a part of your life helping you to have a better life here and there. He wants to completely transform you. And above all things, he wants you to show God to the world and to give God honour in everything you do. This desire to glorify God permeated every part of Jesus' body and it's what drove him to die to display God's glory on that ugly cross. And so... God's glory should permeate every part of our body and lead us even to the point of death for the sake of his glory. It says that at the core of everything is not me and my desires or purposes or yours, but God's. Now this, might, this doesn't mean that you need to go out and become a missionary, though of course it might 
if God's call on you is that. But it does mean that whatever you do, accounting, parenting, doctoring, cleaning, writing, speaking, through all of it, our desire should be to show God's glory to the world so that the world honours him. But we need to drill down into this a little bit because the problem with desiring God's glory is that it still feels a little vague. It doesn't give us a whole lot of detail to hang things on. Well, thankfully, Jesus prays some more, and now it's less about God and more about us. He prays first for his disciples and then for those who will believe. And for his disciples, he prays firstly that they will be protected. They'll be protected in their faith. Holy Father, he prays in verse 11, protect them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. And we tend to think of ourselves as pretty self-sufficient. I have a friend who shuns city life. For him, city life and the corporate world, even organised church, undermines independence. Instead, he lives on a farm, collects his own water, grows his food, homeschools his kids. And to top, and to top it off, on his bookshelf is a big book called Self-Sufficiency. You can't write about it. I, now, there's something that uh, you can't make it up, I mean. Now, there's something, I think, to be a lot to be admired about that way of living. But when it comes to following Jesus, we are not self-sufficient. We need God's protection. Your connection with Jesus, it's not just something that you choose in a neutral kind of way, like what colour you're going to paint the second bedroom. There are strong forces that threaten to pull you away. One force is the pressure of the world. And Jesus says this about the disciples in verse 11. He says that they are in the world, but verse 14, that they do not belong to the world. You might have heard this phrase before, that Christians, we are in the world, but not of the world. We're in the world, but we don't belong to it. And so the pressure of the world threatens to overcome us. It's a bit like being in a deep sea trench, right? We've all been there. Uh, Thousands, well, thousands of metres, kilometres under the sea, thousands of tonnes of water pressure pressing on all sides. And unless you're in a highly specialised diving bell or submarine, you will just become more slime on the seafloor. And so it is in the world. Without God's protection, we would be crushed. But it's not just the pressures of the world. Jesus also talks about the being protected from the evil one. There is a personal force who threatens to snatch you away. You know, we're materialists deep down, and this is hard for us to grasp, but we need God's spiritual protection. And so Jesus prays for his disciples that they remain united, loving each other with the divine love of the Father and the Son, not jealous or unforgiving or competitive. He prays that they will resist the pressure of the world, the desire for wealth and reputation and the pride of life, and that they will always be faithful to him. Won't you pray that too? And he prays that they will hold on to the word of God and believe it, that we would hear his promises, his commands, and the truth of the gospel of Jesus. Won't you pray that too? That we would believe it, not just in here, but in here, so it shapes everything. Why don't you pray that each day, that his word would shape your life, 
my life and the life of the world. Now, this should come with a warning because if you pray for these things, for God's glory and for God's protection, this is a prayer that, notice, Jesus himself has already been praying and he will do it. He will answer your prayer. He protected his disciples and he will protect you too. Now, it might seem like this prayer for protection is a little extreme, a bit zealous, a bit over the top. But it actually gets worse. Jesus also prays that his disciples would be sanctified, utterly dedicated to God and serving him. Verse 17, he asks the Father to sanctify his disciples in the truth. Sometimes Christians talk about sanctification as a process of becoming um, uh, more, more godly, as a process of growing as a Christian. But that's not quite how the Bible puts it. Because to, to sanctify something means to make it holy in the sense that it belongs to God. And that's a once and for all thing. Something that's holy, it's set apart for God's use. You know, the priests in the Old Testament, they were holy not because they lived better lives than other people or they were better people. It was because they belonged to God and were set apart for his use. And the temple, it was holy because it belonged to God for his service. And that is what Jesus does for all of his disciples. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you are sanctified. You belong to God. Your purpose is for him. Through his death and resurrection and believing his word, he makes you holy. And so this means that our prayer should be that we live in a way that reflects that, reflects the fact that we belong to God and are set apart for him. Regardless of what you do for work or who you are responsible for, if you follow Jesus, your life is dedicated and set apart for service to God. So this should be our deepest desire and purpose and prayer in life. Again, this isn't about being locked up in a convent or becoming a preacher. It means desiring to serve God wherever you find yourself, whatever the cost. I was talking to someone recently who faced the choice of uh, whether they would serve Christ and bear the cost or not. Now, to go for a prom promotion, they had to take an aptitude and values test. And in the values section, they knew that if they answered according to their Christian convictions, that they uh, would score badly and might not get the job. What would you do? Well, thanks to God, this man answered with integrity to, to, with integrity to Christ, and it resulted in some difficult conversations at work. But he showed that, they, that he desired to be dedicated to serve Christ and not to ultimately his organisation. Won't you pray with me that every day of your life, all of our lives, we would be sanctified, utterly devoted to serving God. Again, that's another warning. Jesus has prayed this for you. And if you pray it for yourself, he will answer this prayer, that your desire will be to serve him in all things. He did it for his disciples. You see what they did. And he will bring about that in you too. So Jesus prays for God's glory. He prays for the disciples' protection. He prays for their sanctification his final prayer is that they would be united so that the world would know Jesus. 
Verse 21, he prays that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The reality as believers is that we are already connected to God, deeply connected with each other in unity. And so Jesus' prayer is that we would live this out, express this unity in our lives together with humble, self-giving love for for others, even when we seriously disagree. Now that all sounds, you know, that, that's, that sounds pretty nice, right? Warm and fuzzy and, uh, and comfortable. But before we get too comfortable, look at the purpose. It is we're to be unified so that the world may believe that God, that the Father has sent the Son. Jesus wants us to be united so the world believes in him. So it's not fundamentally about a loving and warm community. It's driven by a deeper purpose and prayer that the world would know Christ. Now I've had... Lots of conversations with people at St. Mark's for whom this was their very experience, that they came and they experienced the love of Christ embodied amongst people here and they were drawn to Christ through it. And it's because that unity among Christians is a visible and tangible illustration of the reality of God in our lives and his love for us. And so if we want to share Christ with the world, which is what, we're, what we want to do, then our desire and prayer should be that we are united so that people see Christ and give their lives to him. Now, as I come to a close, I want to end with a challenge and an encouragement. And first, the challenge. I think the challenge of Jesus' prayer, where it really hits the road, is when we pray for people closest to us, especially if you have kids or grandkids or nephews or nieces, What is it that you really want for them? When you pray for them, what is it that you pray for? As a parent, I mean, if we're honest, I think that often what we want for these kinds of people in our lives is their happiness and their comfort. But according to Jesus' prayer, happiness and comfort should be actually pretty far down the list To be frank, these are idols, pressures from the world that threaten to squash our dedication to God and his glory. And so instead our prayers and desires need to be like Jesus, for God's glory and not ours, for their protection and sanctification and service and for unity and a powerful witness in the world. Would you dare pray this for people you love? Now, all of this sounds pretty intense, and frankly, it sounds impossible to transform our desires like, so that they're like Jesus. And so my final encouragement is this, that only God can transform our desires. Only, God, only God's grace is what gives us any ability, is what brings this about in us. And so before we pray these prayers, reflecting our desires, we need to remember that Jesus Christ first prayed this prayer. And not only that, he already acted to make it happen. Right after this prayer, because his hour had come, he went to the cross. He rose again from the dead. He sent his spirit, all to bring glory to God, to protect his disciples, to dedicate them to his service. 
and to unify them. And that's what he has done through the millennia. And when we trust Christ, that's what he can keep doing in us and among us. So let's pray for God's, that God would do that even among us today. Let's pray. Our Father, we commit ourselves today to your glory. Please bring about in us as a church and as individuals the, the desire to see your name known, shown and recognised and famous throughout the world. Please protect us as we seek to, to honour your glory. And please would you dedicate us to your service in all things. Father, keep us united. Help us to love each other with a self-giving sacrifice so that the world may see and believe that you sent the Son, that he came to give us life eternal. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.